Welcome to the Building Wealth Through Commercial Real Estate Podcast, where we will discuss with industry experts on how to create wealth and build passive income from apartment buildings, self-storage, mobile home parks, and much more. Here is your host, Jonathan Way. Welcome to the Building Wealth Through Commercial Real Estate Podcast. I'm your host, Jonathan Way, and I'm the founder of Grayson Capital Group, my investment firm. If you're interested in passively investing with us, please visit graystonecapgroup.com and join our investor network. Okay, and now on to the show. Welcome, Catherine. I appreciate you coming on the show. Yeah, thanks for having me, Jonathan. Great. Catherine Tindall is a CPA specializing in advanced tax reduction who proactively works with clients to reduce um, what they paid in tax while supporting a greater wealth of building and life goals. Her goal for every client is to provide return on investment in their first usually 15 to 100,000 tax savings. So that's an that's a, a amazing goal. You want to help clients re- get a good return on investments so that they can benefit from your services. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about what do you see commonly you see that uh, the clients make mistakes or errors when they, they look at the returns or pay the returns. What, what do you see? Yeah, so for most people, when I first start working with them, before I start working with them, I do kind of a full diagnosis of what they've got going on tax wise. And that's usually where I find errors or I find things that they didn't take advantage of. And I think the most common thing that I see with real estate investors or people who are involved with real estate, not really, there's a, there's a combination of things that I usually see that are problems. Um, You know, the first one that I see with people is that their record keeping isn't good. And so that leaves them with a lot of exposure uh, if they are to be audited by the IRS. But more importantly than that, I see people miss out on deductions that they're entitled to just because their record keeping isn't up to what it should be um, and that they're not segregating things properly. So that's, that's a, those are two common mistakes that I see people make. Um, And then on top of that, there's just a lot of tax mistakes that I see made, which come from, you know, other preparers um, not really specializing with real estate. So they miss out on a lot of things and especially around um, depreciation rules and being able to take advantage of certain things like uh, real estate professional status, those sorts of things I see are very common areas that get missed. Um, And unfortunately, a lot of the time you can't go back and fix it. So it's good to (laughs) catch these things on the front end. I guess, I guess you say you can't go back and amend because why, what's the, what's, what's the, what's the issue there? Well, for some, for some things, um, when you don't make certain elections, it's you lose the ability to go back and get it. So for like the real estate professional status, if you miss it, um, it's kind of a too bad situation. For if you missed out on deductions you were entitled to, or uh, maybe some tax credits you're entitled to, for the most part, you can you can go back and get those, but you have to have the records to be able to support it. So for a lot of people where they don't even have the correct records of it. It's hard for us to even calculate what's what was being missed or um, to make sure that they actually are getting everything that they can. But some of the things like depreciation, we can go back. Um, you know, we can eventually correct for it, but sometimes it's not as much of a tax benefit as it would have been had we caught it the first year that they were eligible. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So very common, I guess, it's a picture of a shoebox. Everything's thrown in the shoebox. And that's just <laughs> yeah. here you go. And and that's always a problem because CPAs don't like that because it wastes a lot of time to organize yeah. and say, you know, where's is, where's is the organization? 
And I guess the second comment is missing deductions because either you don't have it or you're not sure what you paid. And, and that's not an issue. Okay. Okay. And, 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 and I guess in, in, your, in your service, how would you help them you know, get that return on investment? What would you do in, in your approach? Yeah. So for a lot of people in, in real estate, um, my process is pretty simple. So the first thing I do is I'll look at their tax return. And if there's things that I know that they typically spend money on that are missing, that becomes the question, right? Um, you know, if I know they have a property management company and yet I don't see those fees, I know it's missing, or you know, I know that these properties are leveraged, they're mortgaged. Where's their mortgage interest going? You know, where where are these different numbers? Um, you know, I know that there's there's things missing there. So I think part of it is just really getting a good understanding of what the client has going on to make sure that they actually we have everything. Because I think for a lot of people, their relationship with their accountant is they kind of just show up at the end of the year with uh, you know a shoebox or an Excel spreadsheet that. Yeah. <laughs> basically yeah. is a shoebox. And so they don't really know you um, or know what you're doing or what your goals are. And so it's really easy to miss out. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, on top of just those missing those deductions and things like that, you know, them not knowing enough about what you do can have them miss out on some of the specialty tax things that are available for people who are in real estate. So, okay. you know, really common one I see missed is people who really do qualify for getting the special treatment that's called the real estate professional status, which is okay. where you basically can take your, um, if you have rentals, you know, your rental portfolio losses against your ordinary income. So if you're, mm -hmm. you know, a realtor and you're generating, you know, a good amount of revenue and income from your, your brokerage company, and then you've got, you know, a bunch of rentals that are showing losses, you can offset those against each other. And a lot of times I see that missed, um, and then the other thing I see missed as well is people who are eligible for things like cost segregation studies okay. uh, that let you accelerate your depreciation. You know, a lot of people aren't eligible for those, but oftentimes for the people who are, I see it's something that gets missed just because it's not a, uh, you know, generic tax strategy that a lot of CPAs use. So, okay. Okay. Yeah. So that's great. And what, what would you qualify to be a real estate professional to let my audience know? Yeah. So the, I usually recommend with people, if you're, if you think that you might qualify for this status, it's important to talk to a tax professional about your specific situation, just because it's um, a really high area of scrutiny with the IRS. So you want to make sure that you really do qualify. And usually the best way to determine that is to talk to a tax professional, but in general, how the rules work is you have to have uh, pretty active participation in real estate activities. Uh, for most people, like your day job needs to be related to real estate. Like the majority of the work that you're, you know, there's very, there's bright line rules for it, for how many hours and what qualifies as an activity and what doesn't. But for the yeah. most part, for people to qualify, you have to be spending pretty much your working hours doing real estate related activities. So if you have a, um, you know, you're selling properties, you're buying properties, or you're managing your own properties or doing repairs on properties, um, those kinds of activities count towards it, but it's a really special status because it can have a lot of, um, really positive tax impacts. Mm -hmm. And it's not something that you, um, you can qualify it for certain years and then other years you don't. And it's often good to know, uh, you know, if you have years where you're experiencing a lot of income from your regular activities, if you can get yourself to qualify for that status, okay. that can be really powerful to be able to take depreciation and losses that are coming from other places in your, your income portfolio okay. and use that against the, the regular income that you're earning. So let's say we'll have one person who works 
doing IT, but yet on off hour, he works many, many hours doing real estate. So can he say I'm a real estate professional, even though he's an IT day job? Uh, it depends on the facts and circumstances for that person. But I would say if you if you have a mind that you want to qualify for it, it's good to just have talk to a CPA or talk to an enrolled agent about, you know, what's your particular circumstances to see if you do qualify. Um, you know, it can be it can be the difference, you know, a, a matter of a few hours can be the difference between you qualifying and saving, you know, five to six figures in tax or you not qualifying. And so then all of those those losses are considered passive from your rental portfolio. And then you, they just kind of accumulate and you don't get to use them until, you know, you can qualify in a future year. So mm-hmm. that's why I urge yeah. people, if you're suspicious that you might qualify for it, it's really worth the, the phone call to your tax professional to figure it out. Um, if you're spending a good amount of your time doing real estate, it's something that you should know where those lines are for your particular situation, because it, you know, like I said, it can be a five to six figure tax savings, depending on what you have going on. But yeah. that's the impact I've seen with people. And it, it does sometimes come down to a matter of, you know, a few hours one way or the other, whether or not they qualify for it. But yes, yes. Interesting. That's very, that's very good. It's very powerful. That's, that's one of the great um, powers of real estate where you, as a professional, you can offset your ordinary income. Mm-hmm. Which, is, which is really beneficial, actually. So you know, so to the PALS, the passivity loss regime, basically. Yep. And the yep. 465, 465. Okay, great. Um, so Catherine, that's a very a good insight on how you kind of offer a value to your clients and see the mistakes. Any other common mistakes you've seen in, in clients where they make, where they can, uh, you know, do better and some find errors? Yeah, a lot of the times with people, um, just in general, I see a lot of errors around entity structure. Um, and this is something that is pretty common where people don't have their how they're uh, how they're earning their income with their real estate activities, and then if they've got, you know, they're self-employed doing something else at the same time, having the entities structured such so that they can take advantage of everything they're available to take advantage of with the tax code. Because the nice thing with the U.S. tax code, at least, is there's there's a lot of maneuverability between uh, the different income tax rates. So you know, some things you can have on a corporate tax rate, which is right now it's 21%. Um, <laughs> hopefully it doesn't get bumped up with new tax reform, but you know, you, you have the advantage of different entities have different benefits. And so depending on what you have going on, it's one of those things where it's worth reassessing pretty frequently. Like I have a, quite a few cases recently where people kind of set up an entity when they first started, didn't look at it again, five, six years go by, um, you know, they have some other problem. And so then they come to us and we realize like that they've just been operating really inefficiently from a tax perspective, just because they don't have their entity structure. Right. So that's yeah. a, another common one that I see a problem with too. That's a very, that's a very good point because that's being in the beginning, you're not going to make much money. Yeah. So maybe, maybe it's okay to have a single member LLC and a 50% self-employment tax because you have a little income. Yep. But as you grow and grow over time, you have to be cognizant say once a year, talk to your CPA and say, wait a minute, should I do an S corp? versus a, a single LLC to avoid that kind of taxation mm-hmm. misflow through. So it's something like that that you got to consider as, as, as you just grow and scale. And that's where you think of year-end planning as well and how to, whether you do some more deal cost segregation offset gain or you can do a 1031 exchange or something like that, that mm-hmm. come into that kind of strategy, right? Or advance your deduction or something. So that's very important to have like that year-end planning. Yes. And, and make sure that you can understand and also your entity because your entity will change over time. As you scale, as you do very well, 
That mm-hmm. means you have more income, but that means that you're no longer at the same level where you started as, yeah. a, as a small as a small sole proprietor. As you build more teams and employees and all that, then you're gonna then you, that's why you need a, someone like yourself mm-hmm. who's qualified to be able to say, listen, here's the value I can add you. You have to do this and this and this because now you're in a different situation. Yep. Yeah. And with real with people who have real estate activities, you know, tax planning, it's much more like a chess game. You know, we have a certain number of moves that we can make. You know, there's kind of certain patterns of how we do things, yeah. but you have so much, so many options because unlike somebody who's, um, you know, working a W-2 job as an employee somewhere, there's all these moving pieces that you have control over when you want to do things or how you want to do them. And as long as you know the full exposures, the tax exposures of things, you know, it really gives you a, a great picture to know, you know, what your return is going to be on certain properties because you know what your tax is going to be and whether it makes sense to do things like, you know, upgrade and do 1031 exchanges, or, you know, is this the year to do the cost segregation study on this property or just, there's a lot of different moving pieces involved with it. So it's important to realize that you're kind of in a chess game when it comes to comes to tax for you know people who have real estate activities yeah whereas your w-2 is very little control you have it's just, it's yeah. just take the money right away and that's that you felt get w-2 that's it it's nothing yeah there's really not anything in the tax code for those people to be able to like shield that income because it's mm-hmm. just you know it's just how the u.s tax code is written yeah so that's why you know in that robert kiyosaki chart it says you try to be the don't don't pay the employee yeah go him the other one so Okay. Yeah. No, it's, I saw an article, it was probably a couple of years ago, but it was talking about how like Warren Buffett's uh, effective tax rate is like 17%. Yeah. And then his executive assistant who works for him, like hers was like 40%. And it's <laughs> like, that's just how the, that's just how the tax codes written. So you have to be cognizant of how, yeah. how that stuff works. Yeah. And the beauty of real estate is that it's the best vehicle to minimize pay almost no taxes. And because you could do all this stuff that like we talked about, right? Cost yep. segregation, you can do 1031, you can do whatever, all these things you can use. Having the right CPA, you can help you plan and do this where you can pay very little taxes at the end of the day. Yep. And that's the yeah. beauty of the code, of the real estate code. That's exactly. Yeah. yeah. And it's because, you know, the government wants to incentivize, uh, you know, people need housing and, and the government can't provide that. So they want to incentivize people to invest into making housing, to updating housing, to keep it. Um, you know, usable for people. And so that's why those incentives are there because it's a great need. And, you know, being able to have affordable housing for people, so not taxing it really aggressively is something that's important to the government. And so that's just why it's, it's, uh, you know, available. But I just see a lot of people don't, you have to really be active in order to take advantage of a lot of these things, like mm-hmm. because the U.S. system, it's all voluntary. You know, it's all up yeah. to you to yeah. figure out what you're eligible for. You know, no one's going <laughs> to, um, you know, there's no, uh, nobody, nobody in the government's going to do it for you. So it's to really take advantage of what's there. You really have to work with a tax, tax professional for it. Yes, yes. I said even like, um, yeah, I mean, myself, I know the code, but you want someone else to help you think about brainstorm it get some ideas and then and then help you plan it out you know as you grow mm-hmm. and scale to like a multi-million dollar enterprise you gotta make sure you, yep. you do that you need a team to do that right because yep. you gotta think yourself like this even though i'm a cpa but i have to run my business as a business owner and not as a cpa i think like, we'll have a senior mm. team to help me so we can grow and scale right a lawyer a cpa you gotta build that team that's what, yeah that's how, yeah, that's how it should sure. work right well that's great and then i noticed um now have you ever done opportunity zone you seen those opportunity zones and the tax returns 
You know, I haven't seen a lot of people take advantage of it just because of how long the funds have to be tied up, but it is something that I'm seeing more interest in, especially now that, uh, one of the things that the, uh, with new tax reform is that's been on the table. It's not currently that much of an issue is increasing capital gains tax rates. So that's, I think, generated more interest in the opportunity zones, but I'm starting to see now more, um, different funds and different uh, kind of alternative investments that are taking advantage of the opportunity zones. So I think that's going to make it much more accessible for people who want to roll, you know, capital gains into these opportunity zones in a way that's going to be less risky. So one cool one that I've uh, had a um, prospective client was talking to me about recently was um, an opportunity zone where they do crypto mining in a, um, building that's in an opportunity zone. And so even though it's, uh, you know, kind of an economically impoverished area, because it's crypto mining and the cost of the electricity in the area is inexpensive, it's actually a very low risk investment. Um, and then also, you know, the, the crypto thing, I think is pretty, <laughs> a lot of people are excited about that these days. Yes. So, you know, that was a really cool opportunity. And for that client and then seeing, you know, how the, or the, um, the partnership was structured and, and all that sort of thing. I think this is going to become a more common thing, but the, the opportunity zones are something that if it's the right fit for, you know, your liquidity needs, you know, it Mm -hmm. is a certain number of years you have to be invested before you can get the benefits of it. Um, you know, depending on what you have for liquidity needs and then also what you want for a portfolio return, I think there's going to be more options coming out. Uh, you know, in the next couple of years to take advantage of that because that's okay. a, you know, a good opportunity. Okay. As part of the um, infrastructure bill that was passed, there was some small tax legislation. I think it was cryptocurrency reporting, if I'm not mistaken, or, or Venmo yeah. or one of those things. That's, that's 1099 infrastructure reporting. What are your thoughts on, on that item? Well, you know, it's one of those things. They actually had a um, an IRS uh, and U.S. Treasury Department thing come out a couple months ago where they're doing this crackdown on crypto investors and they called it operation hidden treasure (laughs) (laughs) which (laughs) the irs usually doesn't have a sense of humor so but yeah i think it's just one of those areas there's been a lot of you know people under reporting what's going on with the crypto assets and so they're they're starting to get more they want to regularize it and so this Mm -hmm. is kind of the first step into them trying to make it more of like a regular asset like stocks are um, you know, how stocks are reported and that sort of thing. So I think they're just trying to make it more regular so that it's a combination of easier for people to be compliant, but also easier for them to enforce when people are, you know, underreporting things. So right, I wasn't right. surprised to see that come up just because it is something that's been on the IRS radar for a good couple of years now. Mm-hmm. And I assume it'd be similar to a Schedule D uh, type where it was whatever kind of your investments is cryptocurrency. So like a stock and then you, you, you fill it out for long-term, short-term gain and stuff like that. Yeah. I think that that's the kind of model that they're moving towards just so it's um, you know, there are some uh, products on the market for converting uh, you know, crypto portfolios into tax data that's usable for accountants. Um, but just making that kind of the standard offering for some of these exchanges so that it's uh, you know, just easier for people to be compliant because so many people now are involved with it that it's, you know, it's, it's hard for them to keep track. So that's part yeah. of the goal there. And that's going to be another uh, administrative burden for, I guess, the broker child. So whoever's controlling these, these will call these well, holding agents Yep. under that regime, under the information reporting regime, 1099 regime. I know we, we I helped clean up uh, um, um, a firm in Wall Street, all these 1099, 1042 QI regime. 
a significant amount of work, but we've done that over, over the course of a couple of years and we we fixed that issue. But it's gonna be big, you know, first growing pains when you start doing this and then over time yeah. it's, it's, it's kind of like fatga is the system over time it should wheels out. So but that was a major, major one. FATCA 871M were holding was a huge station we had to face. So mm. yeah. So okay, so great. Oh, great. And so ending uh any anything you want to share with the audience uh, before we uh we end this we end this show. Uh, no, other than, you know, uh, the best way to get connected, you know, I post a lot of tax tips, updates, that sort of thing. Uh, you can connect with me on LinkedIn, um, or our website is dominiones.com. And we also have a blog and other shows that we do and other, um, tax tips and resources for people, because, you know, part of the company mission is just reducing tax waste. So, I always hope that some of the advice that I give uh, people will be able to take advantage of it and talk to their tax professionals and, you know, kind of reduce how much, uh, you know, how many voluntary contributions they're making to the government. <laughs> yes, 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 yes. Oh, great. Thank you very much, Catherine. I appreciate it. Yeah. Thank you so much, Jonathan. It was a pleasure. Thanks for listening. For more information, you can find us online at www.graystonecapgroup.com. Check back weekly for new episodes. See you again next time.